Welcome to the Dellingpod with me, James Dellingpod. And I know I always say I'm excited about this week's special guest, but it's even better than that. This is a promo for the event you've all been waiting for. You wanted me to do a live event in the North. I'm going to be doing a live event in the North, in Manchester. You've been angling for ages to get me to do a podcast with one particular person. I've held off till now, but finally the moment has come. Dellingpole meets Ike. Yup. I am going to do a live podcast event with the guy you could almost call the god, well, certainly the living godfather of all the conspiracy theorists. I mean, most of them have been bumped off, of course, but not David. And I hope he he stays around till this live event. Um, Same applies to me, actually. It's going to be in Manchester, as I said, and it's on November the 15th. I'm really looking forward to seeing you all there. You can get your tickets, book them while they're still available. You can get them on Eventbrite. You'll find the details below this little advertlet. Anyway, see you there. It's going to be fun. Bye. Welcome to the Dellingpod with me, James Dellingpod. And I know I always say I'm excited about this week's special guest, but I really am. I'm not even going to bother with the, the adverts this, this week because, um, well, I'll explain why in a moment. Um, Godfrey Bloom, welcome to the Dellingpod, Godders. A great pleasure to be on. Thank you. I was going to, now, I was going to say to you, oh, I've got some chilli around my mouth. I was going to say to you, I'm, you may have to do more of the talking this uh, on this occasion because I've just um, come off a horse and I I got bucked off and I whacked my head and I'm not sure whether I've got concussion or 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 anything so I'm feeling a bit a bit spaced out I'm I'm, I'm fine apart from that but I I thought I'd mention it to you because you are a, a hunting man yourself. Yes, indeed. My my uh, I've just retired. I've retired from hunting now. One fall too many. My wife broke her back in February, so I think she's quit the field, as it were, although mm. she's rapidly on the mend and might hunt next season. But, uh, yeah, it's a dangerous game. Well, it is, and that's, that, of course, is part of the appeal. Um, yes. I, I mean, all the people who do it are basically mad because exactly. they are... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I'm so glad to have you on, on, on the Delling Pod. I, I'm particularly interested in having you on, Goddard, because... You're one of the very few people um, that I know from before I went down the rabbit hole who seems to have gone down the rabbit hole with me. I mean, you and I used to participate in, I think we met, didn't we, at a, at a debate at Durham University? Uh, Cambridge, in point of fact. Cambridge. Yeah. Cambridge. Yeah. Um so we used we used to be on the debating circuit, and you and I were both kind of Brexity kind of people because they needed sort of a few token right wing people to sort of say 
right-wing things to counterbalance the left-wing things that the left-wing people say. I don't know about you, I no longer believe in the left-right paradigm. I think it, it, it's, it was, these are all inventions by our controllers designed to divide us and give us the illusion that we have a choice. Are you with me on that one? Uh, totally with you, James, totally with you. It's been passe for years. The divide in the country, and there is a divide, but it's not left-right. It's state. It's, if you will, it's state on one side and the wealth-creating sector on the other side. So it's sort of public sector versus the non-public sector. Yeah. That is your main divide. It's not race and it's not age. That is really your divide. So left-right, left-right. In fact, you and I would have been massively supported by the left 30 years ago for our viewpoints on things like compulsory uh, spike protein inoculation, all the rest of it. Um, we would have been regard we would have been cheered by the left as well on the basis of our views. I know. I'd like to take. I. I. I I've come round to realizing that Wedgwood Ben, for example was not necessarily not necessarily the enemy of people like you and me that we thought on certain issues uh, exactly when i see his we both wanted the same we were both on the journey to the same place uh, yeah. but he wanted to take a different route but the end game which was real democracy for ordinary real people was the same yeah. i didn't yeah. hear it at the time um, I made the mistake of not seeing it at the time, um, but I never met him personally. But certainly some of the things that he has that I see now yeah. on YouTube, uh, I agree almost 100 percent. Yeah. And actually, I've, while we're on the subject of, of, of famous lefties, Jeremy Corbyn, I think Jeremy Corbyn was was not so far off being as we thought. Well, certainly I said uh, I was saying of Corbyn uh, when he was leader of the opposition. He has one ace in the whole policy, and that's to leave NATO. Uh, and he was absolutely right in spades on that one. Whatever else he might have said, he was right yeah. on that. And incidentally, of course, he was a Republican, and which I have never been. I'm a monarchist. But now, I'm not still not a Republican, but I certainly don't want the House of Windsor. Oh, absolutely, absolutely not! No, 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 no. Uh, what was your what was your moment of revelation, or was it a series of moments of revelation? Actually, before we before you tell me, Goddess, for those who don't know who the hell you are, just just give us a a, a brief introduction to Godfrey Bloom. Uh, well, I was a city fund manager for many years, uh, specialising in pension scheme investment. Um, and uh, I have a very modest military career, unbelievably modest and undistinguished, but at least I did have my toe in the military pond, as it were. And well, I you, was did, a you, you didn't the... repel the, the, the Chinese at the Imjin River or anything like that? No, 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 Just I just missed that, I'm very happy to say. Um, but uh, let's see, what else did I... And then, of course, I was 10 years... Uh, I started with UKIP as a Brexiteer, and I finished... Yeah sitting in the parliament as an independent um i, I fell out with you the, the european parliament that yeah, is the european parliament yeah. 
and I did sit on the Economic and Monetary Affairs Committee, and I also sat on the Environmental Committee. Right. So there was there was a long period of your life where you believed in politics because you you wouldn't have been engaged in it if you if you hadn't believed in it. It, it wasn't a game to you. You you weren't in it for the fame, and certainly not for the money, because you've made your money in the city. Um, presumably now you, you, you think, as I do, that that politics is just a sort of punch and judy show designed to distract us from the real issues. Well, certainly I came into politics very late, late in life. I'd never been a member of a political party uh, until I joined UKIP, because for one rule, reason only, and that was Brexit. I wanted Brexit. I didn't want to be a professional politician. I wasn't interested in party politics, which I find personally disgusting. Uh, But politics with a sort of small P, as it were, uh, with one thing in mind, and that was Brexit. And most of my most of my uh, branch chairman and stuff like that up in Yorkshire and North Lincolnshire, which was my constituency, funnily enough, James, were old Labour. patriotic picture of the queen on the parlor uh, wall um and that's they were my um they were my chaps who did all the sort of hard work in the rain and leaflets and stuff sort of the earth patriots and some of the nicest people i've ever met so what was your did you go back to my my original question which i interrupted what was your moment where you saw you saw through all this well, funnily enough, I was managing fixed interest in the city uh, for a fund for a very prestigious investment house. And I was asked to investigate in the late, late 1980s and early 90s, uh, 1990s. I was asked to investigate the implications of what they called then the common currency, um, the euro, if you will. And I researched that with a very high quality team that was with me. Uh, and then I became a guest lecturer for a year at Cambridge University uh, on this very subject uh, and suddenly it blew open the gates of the failures of Keynesian economics, uh, the failure of politics, the failure of the Treasury for years and years. One of the reasons was I couldn't understand Treasury forecasts. I started in the city in 1967 and I left in 2004 when I was elected the Treasury have never been right on any forecast ever in my entire career, which spanned 40 years. And so that I then suddenly thought, just a minute, I'm dealing with some of actually the most stupid and ill-informed people from both parties that I've ever seen. And that thought somebody's got to come in and sort them out. Yeah, but it's interesting you use that word failure. Um, it seems to me that they've been very successful because they're doing actually what uh overlords wanted them to do all, all along I, th- I think this this idea that 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 everything that's happening in the world is just a, just a, the result of incompetence of, of, of cock up is part of the illusion no uh, you you make a very fair point uh, but I came into this pre wef I came into it before the world economic forum uh, and so that that's one aspect of, of the thing. And of course, uh, you're right. You'd certainly be right now. Whether that was right 25 or 30 years ago, I couldn't say. I think it was probably just incompetence. Uh, but you're, you make a very valid point. Um, I think um, they are very successful 
uh, in destroying. Nobody could suggest that this uh, this government at the moment under Sunak. Uh, isn't deliberately destroying our country and our culture and our economy. It must be quite deliberate, mustn't it? And America too, the United States uh, and Western Europe. Yeah, uh, quite and Australia. Mass immigration, degradation of currency. And of course, nobody will know better than you, James. Uh, if you read your Gibbons Decline and Fall, as I'm sure you have, we saw that the uh, demise of the Roman Empire uh, was, of course, the failure to uh, to uh, protect their borders and the degradation of their currency. And if you've got those two things together, your empire will fall. And of course, Britain is falling, America's falling and the West in general is falling. And we've come um, into a secular society. We are now a secular society, thanks to the likes of Justin Welby and his ilk uh, and his previous archbishops. The churches are empty, so people have no moral focus either. Uh, if you wanted a guaranteed way of destroying the country, you couldn't think of a better way. Yeah, although you think about on the church, the, the um, Matthew Arnold was writing about the melancholy, long withdrawing roar of, of, of Christianity in... I think he published that Dover Beach in, in the mid nineteenth century. So, so the war on the war on the church has been taking. It's not just just. It's not like Justin Welby has come in and, and become Archbishop and said, "Right, I know what I'm going to do. I, I'm going to I'm going to serve my Lord Lord and Master Satan, and I'm going to dismantle." You know, it, it's not like that. I think this has been going on for much longer. And with respect, you you, you say, "Oh, I don't know whether it, it how long far back it goes." The, the Trilateral Commission was founded, I think, in, in 1971 by David Rockefeller and Zbigniew Brzezinski. That was, that, they were, they were the, the, the masterminds behind, um, the World Economic Forum. Klaus Schwab was headhunted by Kissinger, who was also on board with the, with, with the Trilateral Commission. It, essentially, the, 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 the WEF was the attack dog of the Trilateral Commission, the sort of the, the more visible face of it, if, if, if you like. And, and, and it doesn't even go back to 1971. It goes back way, way, you know about, for example, the, the Federal Reserve, 1913. And before that, you know, you go back to look at what happened at the Battle of Waterloo, um, in the aftermath with, with, with Rothschild, uh, when, it, when he had 80% of the, of the UK stock market, but, but thanks to his early access to information about the results of the battle. So I don't think, I don't think this is new stuff. Uh, no, I didn't phrase it very well. I wasn't suggesting it was new. I was suggesting it was never quite so overt. Yes, that's true. And, and, yeah. and, and politicised, you know, insofar as that we have a prime minister, a chancellor of the exchequer, a leader of the opposition, a king, and the Archbishop of Canterbury, who are self-confessed WEF agents. That's yeah. where I think there's a new dynamic. Yes, well, I, I'd agree with you there. But just, just to, uh, to ask the question again, what was your, what was your sort of wake-up call moment that, that really made you realise just how bad things Ah. I think it was when I delved down uh, into the common currency and I saw the implications of a common currency and I saw the globalist uh, root of the common, common currency. And the more you dig down into that, the more you see the tentacles. Uh, I suppose I suppose you might argue it was a Damascene conversion, perhaps, because in the city in the late 80s, I, my main commitment was to run a successful fund. Uh, and doing what you do in the city, 
uh, and all that kind of thing. Uh, so I didn't have any any focus other than that fairly narrow focus. And the more yeah. you delve into the political dynamic, the more things you uncover. It's a bit like when you go into a, if you're going into a new thing, like let's say, for example, you're deciding that you want to delve into Wellington's Peninsula Wars, for example. It's only yes. when you do one battle, then another battle, and then you see the commissariat implications, and then you see the geopolitical strategic implications of it. You you keep on, it's like peeling an onion, you keep on taking off another skin. I haven't been down the Peninsula War rabbit hole. What's What's the commissariat? Tell me about that. Uh, well, they're the people who uh, actually, uh, Wellington was very good at making sure his soldiers and his troops had ammunition and food and, and warm clothing. And here's a funny story. Uh, they had a, one of his divisional generals was a man called Bob Craw Crawford. Black Bob, he was known as by the soldiers, Black Bob Crawford. And when you're fighting in a peninsula war like that under those circumstances, your food and ammunition is very important. Uh, and the commissariat general, was, whose name I forget, was very upset because Black Bob Crawford, he said to this commissariat general, if you don't have it there by the day after tomorrow, I will hang you. And, in a, in a, and, and he was in a, a hissy fit. He went to see General, uh, uh, well, he went to see Wellington. He went to see Wellington and said, um, uh, Bob Crawford's threatened to hang me if I don't get the supplies there by Thursday morning. And the Duke of Wellington's response was, was well, I suggest you do, because he surely will. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, Goddess, that, that I used to take great delight in, in military history. And I, I mean, for, for, for years, I, I, I read almost nothing but books about about military history and i've completely gone off war i'm i'm not really interested in war um because i now understand as i did not then that the wars are not these organic um things that arise out of out of i don't know sort of rogue characters like napoleon or hitler or whatever and that they're baddies who need defeated that these baddies are created by people higher up the food chain and that there is a class of people in the world, I call them the predator class, which actually starts these wars and, and, and treats, treats the whole world like their playground, like their game. The First and the Second World Wars were, were engineered by these people. They weren't, they, they weren't because the Kaiser was a baddie or because Hitler was a baddie. It was much more, it was much more planned than that. Uh, you're absolutely right. And I came to the quite same conclusion uh, as also as a military historian, indeed a published military historian, I'm also a graduate of the Royal College of Defence Studies in Strategy, uh, and so on and so forth. I came to this the more, again. The more you dig down, the more you the more you realise. In particular, my particular area was expertise was the military side of the Great War, and I've led battlefield tours. I've given lectures. Uh, and relatively recently, and I'm talking about the last 10 or 15 years, um, I have been developing a, uh, a, a theory, a hypothesis, how we could have stayed out of the Great War to the benefit of Europe, to the great benefit of our own country. Uh, and I've given lectures on this, uh, gave a lecture at London School of Economics. Uh, I've written articles about this, but you're quite right. Um, and my dissertation at the RCDS 
was nearly every single war that's been fought was unnecessary. And of course, yeah. the one that we're seeing in Ukraine at the moment is screaming unnecessary uh, at us. And of course, mm. it's being run for the, um, as you know, and I know, and of course, most of our mutual subscribers know, it's for the industrial, it's the mili United States Military Industrial Congressional Congress. This is about money. Uh, this yeah. is all about money. Uh, and so consequently, we know that now. Uh, and because if you really drill down from the strategy and to the, the politics and the press of the day, like Nord, Nord, Northcliffe uh, in, uh, in 1914, you realize that these wars are engineered by greater forces. You're quite right in coming that assessment. I didn't come to this understanding until probably 20 years ago. Right. OK, but so what you're telling me is that, that you've you've been not maybe deep down the rabbit hole, pretty far down the rabbit hole for, for, for quite a long time, which includes the period where you were a UKIP MEP, which which interests me because I'm thinking, well, hang on a second. How can you have known what you knew and gone on doing, engaged in the system, which is so corrupt and mendacious and a distraction? What What did you think you were doing in it? Well, the my Brexit, my bra Brexit angle, uh, my interest in Brexit came in the late 1980s and early 1990s. And so I thought if I could contribute something, it would be to get a referendum, which Enoch Powell said, when the British people understand what the European Union means, yeah. they will want out. And I wanted to bring us to that thing. And I thought, how can I help doing that? And perhaps if I campaign for that referendum, which we were successful in getting, yeah. meaning this Brexit, of course, as we both know that we've got. And interestingly enough, uh, on my last day, which is 2014, um, and uh, or whenever it was, I can't remember, but it, round about then, somebody said, what you don't understand, uh, Godfrey, is that... Uh, you think everything's coming from Brussels and Strasbourg. He said those days have long gone. Uh, the, everything's coming from uh, the World Economic Forum, the United Nations, the IMF and all these other. And I, I sort of it wasn't long. It was a year or two before I suddenly realized that uh, uh, Brussels is yesterday's game. It's yeah. yesterday's game, Brussels and Strasbourg. But but probably always, in a sense, it probably always was. In 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 the, the I think the the European Union, Union itself was it was a creation of these these so called elites, these the, the, these same shadowy forces that we that, that everything we we read about in the in 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 the papers, everything that we sort of got emotionally involved in during Brexit, this idea that 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 there was this kind of unaccountable foreign power, the European Union. Uh, exerting its supranational authority over our proud, independent, sovereign nation. That that too was just, just part of the bullshit, wasn't it? Uh, it was, and uh, I suppose your implication, and I can't refute it in any way, was, Godfrey, what, don't, don't you think you were a bit thick and slow on the uptake? And the answer to that is, yes, perhaps I was. Yeah. Well, yeah, but, I, but look, I, I'm guilty too, Squire. I, 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 I feel, I do feel it, I think it, I, I think it's harsh to judge one's former self because everyone, I mean, most people now in the world are subject to mass brainwashing from from the moment they're born. 
they they get they first of all they get told lies by their their innocent parents who who believe the paradigm then they get educated so called at school and they and they get fed all this nonsense and then perhaps they they get this bullshit this this turd polished and sprinkled with glitter at university and then they go out into the world and they go into into places like the city which are so heavily c- compromised by the belief system of the of of the of the cabal so it's no wonder people think the way that they do nevertheless i look back on myself and i think how could you have been how can you have fallen for this thing? How can you have gone out, uh, gone to gone to university debating societies and and made these sort of gung ho speeches about something which you should have realised was just a con? It was the, Brexit was never a thing we were being offered in any meaningful way. It was always just part of this illusion that we have democracy. In all fairness to myself, mm. um, I did ma- many interviews with people like the Mises Institute and so on and so forth. Uh, certainly back as early as 2004, 2005, on the subject of Brexit, saying that we would never actually get it. We'd never get Brexit. We wouldn't get it. Uh, We would always have some form of associate membership. So I got onto it quite quickly, especially as we had the House of Lords, the Civil Service, the House of Commons and the press, nearly all in favour of Remain. So I was quite sharp on that. Uh, and of course, I learned a good lesson, as indeed you you did too. Um, I was absolutely first on the climate hoax. Uh, you know, my my uh, websites and everything. I was well on to the, I was onto the climate hoax when I sat on the Environment Committee in 2005, that the whole thing was uh, fake science. And of course, when they came in with their fake pandemic and their appalling experimental spike protein, uh, when no. they came in with that, I was on that at the very beginning. I was first in. Um, and so I, my wake-up call um, cut across the board, you know, and I did wake up and I'm awake now. Um, God, I wonder whether you could maybe slightly pull back slightly from your microphone. You're, you're popping quite a lot and I, I, I can't control. Yeah, I think I think try that and see whether that works. Is that any better? Well, it's got le- yeah. I'm gonna. Uh, it's got less less interference. Um. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds better. That sounds better. Yeah. Okay. Now I've got to. I've got to ask you, Goddess, because uh, you've got inside information here, and I, I, I'm going to ask you to be discreet, uh, indiscreet rather, which I'm sure you hate doing. Um, but for me to go back three years, um, I thought one of the most shaming moments, and there were many shaming moments in the whole psyop. Uh, the so-called COVID nonsense. But one of the most embarrassing and, and flagrant, frankly, uh, of, almost sort of Soviet levels of, 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 of kind of mass manipulation was when we were invited to stand on our doorsteps and on a Thursday evening, I believe it was, and bang our pots and pans for our NHS. Um, I, I don't know whether you... Whether you, you participated in that charade i hope you didn't no i was disgustingly embarrassed by it my wife uh, is ex-national health physiotherapist but long since in private practice equally horrified and embarrassed by it um in much the same way that i was horrified by the outpourings of over grief and heart on sleeve when princess diana died uh, that was un-british as far that as was the first un English and I didn't like it one bit and I certainly didn't participate. 
That was the that, that was the, in a way a dry run. Print the, the the death of Princess Di for 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 it was almost like they were testing us. And you remember that arch manipulator and Satanist Tony Blair. He he coined that noi- noisome phrase. She was queen of all our hearts. I mean, actually, look, I, I'm I'm definitely Team Diana in 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 that versus the Royals, but that's that's a separate issue. That the way that the the nation, which were the the country that supposedly invented the stiff upper lip, behaved towards it was extraordinary, wasn't it? It, it, it was really, and and it was a time when. You could not, you could not question what was going on. If you, if, if you said, hang on, I think this is slightly over the top, all this mass hysteria, you would be, it was a bit like saying, you know, I'm a Nazi or something. Oh, yes, but I was quite open about it. I said at the time I thought it was disgusting and I'm a stiff upper lip man. Um, yeah. So I don't like all that kind of stuff. And of course, then the Windsors came on TV and abandoned stiff upper lip and were boohooing all over the place, uh, which I thought was highly embarrassing. Uh, and and I didn't like any of it, and it was all ghastly. Uh, and uh, and I knew then that so, and my American friends and my uh, uh, foreign friends of all sorts were also equally horrified. They were rather looked up to us uh, for that, the stiff upper lip. They rather admire that. It looked at one stage like Colonel Nasser's funeral. You know, I was wondering when people were going to throw themselves on a coffin and burst into tears and start slashing their wrists. And I thought, you're Englishmen and women. Get a grip of yourself. Yeah, but uh, well, we'll, we'll come on to notions of Englishness and, and because I, cause I'm afraid I've, I've lost faith in all that as well. But I was, I was steering you um, towards answering a, a question. I, uh, go back to the doorsteps where people are banging their pots and pans. And one of the most cringe-inducing sights was was Nigel Farage clapping like a like a demented seal for our NHS and I just the, for me that encapsulated it, it was it was the moment where I finally lost every last shred of a vestige of a scintilla of faith that I might have had in Farage that he was in any way genuine that he just He's just a politician. He blows at the winds. He's, he, he, he fulfills a designated role. He was never uh, sent to save us. He never had any intention of saving us, of providing a genuine, genuine alternative to all the crap that was going on. Am I being harsh in my judgment? What the hell was he doing? Well, um, I will remain discreet in these matters, but I left Bastard. UKIP. I left UKIP and sat as an independent. And... Not a million miles away from some of some of what you've just said, fairly harsh, but uh, I do I take your point. Uh, my watershed moment for that really was his failure to support Julian Assange and come out uh, with his relationship with Donald Trump and things he could have done as no other politician could have done to save the slow torture to death of Julian Assange. That was an opportunity missed, in my view. So, but then, of course, all professional politicians are the same. They stand, when the chips are down, they don't really stand for anything. Right. Well, that's it. But you, you say I was harsh. I don't think I am being harsh because 
I'm speaking as somebody who who genuinely like a lot of people who 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 voted UKIP or, or uh, you know dabbled in UKIP. But I I I don't know if I actually ever literally voted for UKIP. But I, but there was a time I remember where I, briefly I attempted to be be a UKIP candidate, um, and I do you know the story? That I I, I vaguely remember it. Yes, I do. Okay. So I thought, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll spend a bit of time uh, in the European Parliament, enjoying enjoying kind of mule frit in, in 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 Brussels and having a good a good salary and fighting and sticking it to the to these ghastly Eurocrats. And it seemed quite attractive, anyway. So I, I had a go at, at the. Uh, I, I went along to this. Are they called hustings where where you make stump speeches? I I. I went to this 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 hotel in the East Midlands, um, and there were lots of candidates. And I I turned up unprepared as always. And I and and people said to me, well, so so uh, have you got your speech ready? And I said, what 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 speech? Are we supposed to do? This? And, and I hadn't read the instructions. Uh, anyway, so so I I delivered my my ten minute speech that we were required to do off the cuff, and. In all modesty, it was one of the best speeches I've given because it was just like you know from the heart, and it was I I hadn't prepared it. It was just just it just flowed, and everyone loved it, and it was great. But I I didn't get get to the uh, to the later rounds because apparently the psychological profiling I I failed the psychological profiling. I think how would you how could you possibly fail psychological profiling to become a UKIP candidate I don't think so I think it was just that I was considered to be um you know you don't want too many too many stars and I think I I mean I think I would have been absolutely shit and I would have totally hated it I would have been bored rigid um but uh what am I saying here um I believed in the values seemingly espoused by UKIP I believed in the idea that ordinary people ought to have a control over their country's destiny, that our politicians should be answerable to us, that, that we shouldn't be subject subject to nonsense like climate change um, regulations based on junk science. And I wanted to do my bit to fight that. And I thought that that obviously the Conservative Party weren't do it, doing it because they, like Labour, had signed the Climate Change Act only only seven MPs, I think, had, had, had not voted for the Climate Change Act. And I'm thinking, hang on a second, there was nothing conservative about, about it. So I thought maybe, given that the main parties were not offering an, an alternative to the system, they were effectively one uniparty, then maybe UKIP were the answer. Well, I didn't realise that the leader of UKIP at the time is actually as big a fraud as any of them. I think I was entitled to feel pissed off and I'm entitled to, 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 to be, to be as rude as I, as I am about Nigel Farage. I, I, I don't see the point of him at all other than as essentially controlled opposition. How would you defend him against that charge? Well, you've got to bear in mind that the UKIP, the first 10 years of UKIP weren't anything like the second 10 years of UKIP. Now, the first 10 years of UKIP, if you looked at the Constitution, it was libertarian. The word libertarian was in it. Uh, we had very good people who were exposing the climate hoax, like Roger Helmer, very, uh, yeah. a very good speaker. Uh, and uh, we believed in uh, uh, reform of currency, banking, everything. It was grassroots. The whole thing was grassroots. 
okay yeah. and they were good people and honest people and patriotic people now in 2010 when we sent back this is the key to this in 2010 when we sent back more MEPs than anybody else including the Conservatives so on and so forth all right we sent more back now here I'm just going to give you one little phrase all right the whiff of vermin we were becoming we were becoming formalized we were becoming mainstream and so things like the climate hoax and immigration and so on had to be put mildly on the black burner and we had to somehow become part of mainstream because there were whiffs around of of knighthoods and all these things don't forget i was right in the heart of it at that time uh the seats in the house of lords there was all this kind of thing going on and we were shipping in instead of promoting good honest uh ukip members who'd worked really hard uh they were being kept out of the senior positions we actually recruited from the conservative failed conservative candidates who came to us because they wanted a home with none of our values with none of our values right this was the problem and i used to get down to head office uh, in ukip and meet people who's he who's he i'm trying to get 10 pounds out of old age pensioners in yorkshire towards the party and there are guys sitting on there with 50,000 pounds a year jobs that nigel met in the pub now you can't run a party like that uh, and we didn't have a shadow cabinet when we went into the 2014 election you cannot fight a mainstream election without a shadow cabinet you can go bang bang rah rah in a, a proportional representation job uh, for the european elections you can't go to the people in the general election and be asked who's your spokesman on national health who's your spokesman on defense and say never mind about that let's go to the pub you that doesn't work and consequently we didn't get any seats as I said, and it's on my website, I had an interview with Andrew Neil, and after I'd left, and he said, "Oh, you've left now. You're sitting as an independent. What's your view?" I said, "We won't get any seats uh, because we've abandoned our grassroots, and we haven't put a team in a viable team." And people were saying their hearts in the right place, but no, not on this election. Uh, it's the wrong kind of election. Right. That's interesting. Well, but you say the, the whiff of vermin. Did any, anyone in UKIP actually get elevated, if that's the right word, to the Lords? No, and I knew they wouldn't, James. I knew they wouldn't. That was the naivety of the whole thing. What, a bunch of dicks? So, you mean, they compromised every last principle in order to get positions that never actually existed and were never going to happen? Got it in one, James. Oh, what I, you know, my my respect for 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 that era UKIP, which was already like that, has just plummeted. To... Don't don't associate James for one minute the grassroots UKIP members and activists. Yeah, they're the best people I ever met. It was the hierarchy that was degraded. Oh, and I believe some, like the party chairman. Uh, again, Nigel met in the pub, who was an ex-Liberal Democrat, who a lot of us were convinced uh, was um, a, a covert government agent, because everything he did uh, was bad for the party. Who was that? Including the London mayor election by not actually being too late filing uh, our UKIP candidate on the on the ballot list. Uh, who was that? Les uh, Crowther. Can't remember his Christian name. Crowther. 
Yeah, you were about to say Leslie Crowther, who is... Who is... <laughs> yeah, I nearly did, didn't I? Come on down, James. Yeah, come on down. The, the, that whoosh right over the head of anyone that, that, yeah. uh, younger than, <laughs> no, younger it than was, us. It was Crowther and one or two others. We had some very good people in UKIP who were turned away in the end and left in, dis- in despair. Maybe that's that was the period when I was um, considered to be not... Because, I, I mean, I, I, maybe my politics were considered to be unhelpful. Because I was, I was authentic, and well, you know, I can I'll... tell you, James. Towards towards the end, I was considered very unwelcome indeed. My resignation was accepted with amazing alacrity. Yeah, I know. Well, you you don't surprise me. So I look at them. What are they called now? UKIP? Are they, do they still exist? Actually, I'm, they're I'm, still I'm, there. I'm, is UKIP? They're still kicking about. Are they? Oh, well, what's the one that Richard Tice is in? What's that? The what? Sorry. Oh, oh that's what reform. Right. Um, so, is, what's their relationship to UKIP? Uh, well, none at all, except I think Nigel's president somewhere or something. There's some connection. I, well, of course, if you, you talk about controlled opposition, James. Yeah. Tice is your man. That screams controlled opposition. I mean, yes. in the same way that Julia Hartley Brewer screams controlled opposition. Yes. Yeah, actually, that's a, I'm glad you've 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 taken it in that direction, Goddess, because um, I get I don't know whether I get stick exactly, but let's say in my Telegram channel, for example, there is division within most people on the channel are completely awake, and but one of the great dividing lines is whether. Um, X is secretly working for the enemy or whether it uh, it doesn't matter because he's a likable chap and is putting out saying things that we like to hear. And my line is the hardcore line, which is controlled opposition. By definition, they will say some things that you like. Otherwise, they wouldn't they, they wouldn't be able to fool you. The fact that they say things that you like to hear now and again does not mean that they're on your side. What, what do you understand by control opposition? Uh, well, yes, the, the soundbiter. Uh, and they're all over Western Europe and they're all over America. Give you the classic case of the new Italian uh, Prime Minister, Maloney, whatever her name is, who talked a wonderful story on immigration. And as soon as she got in, uh, reneged on the whole thing. Now, here's the key, in my view. Have a look at what he's been saying, or who, he or she has been saying for some time. You can go onto my website and get speeches I was making 15 years ago, articles I was writing 15 years ago. I haven't changed my view or opinion on anything. So if I believe we should leave NATO, I, I was saying we should leave NATO 15 years ago and giving some very good reasons why we should, uh, and, uh, and all these other things. The soundbite for the coming election always produces your fraud. But, of course, who's more naive than the electorate in any country? You know, they're so naive. Oh, he's talking. He sounds all right. I mean, Boris is a classic example. Oh, I like Boris. I think I like Boris. What do you like about Boris? And when another thing I was driving, I was driving some old age pensioners to a, a charity dinner. They were all blue rinse conservatives. Uh, and I said to... Um, I said to them, they said, oh, I like David Cameron. I like David Cameron. And I said, what is it you like about him? And do you know what the response was from a quite a wealthy blue rinse lady was, he's got such a nice face. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That, this exactly. Is, this is the electorate. It's, how it's can how, you win how, with these people? It's, it, it, it's, it's how Phineas Finn builds his entire political career on being a, a, a handsome, affable, yeah. Yeah. affable chap. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. People are, people are, 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 are very shallow. May I say, God, is that there is a way I can tell that you are not controlled opposition. Because <laughs> <laughs> there you are sitting in your, in your sitting room, in your, in your old, in your old chair. Clearly, not in a high tech studio. Clear, having having really not done very well in politics, frankly, if I may say so. Um, you, like me, you've been you, you're you're in the backwards, and I I think that it generally is a tell that anyone with serious public prominence, anyone who gets featured on the BBC or on, uh, frankly, on GB News, is is pretty much controlled opposition. Well, perhaps I must say something in my political defence. In 2003, James, my constituency team consisted of my mother-in-law, a friend from the rugby club, and my dog, admittedly very unintelligent, border collie. We had nothing and we had no money. When I finished in 2014 under proportional representation in Yorkshire, I had 400,000 votes, more than anybody else by a very long way. Uh, so, yes, I would argue that it wasn't as unsuccessful as all that. No, I, I think you're making a separate point. Actually, you're, you're you're kind of agreeing with me. I mean, I I I I'm not, I certainly wasn't dissing you. I was actually complimenting you that 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 you are authentic. Because if you weren't authentic, you wouldn't you you you'd have you know you'd have acquired greater prominence. I mean, the fact that you got votes, yes, that's a good that's a good thing. By the way. Do you do you believe anything we were told about Brexit? I mean, do you believe that it was fifty two, forty eight percent, for example? I, I don't even believe that. You make an interesting point. Um, certainly, the, we know the skullduggery of Cameron using six million pounds, which was quite illegal, to actually canvass the country yeah. uh, with, with with Remain leaflets. So, so we know about that bit of jiggery-pokery. Now, here's my take on this, because I think it's a fair question. I believe that the establishment, deep state, was so confident that they couldn't lose a referendum, uh, given the, with the might of the whole of deep state and the civil service and the media, BBC, yeah. everybody behind Remain, they just didn't believe they could lose. So... Did they game the system? I think n- they would game it now. They'd game it now. There'd be ballot boxes lost, there'd be electronic things, there'd be fakery. I think probably, um, I, I couldn't tell you, but certainly uh, the reason they lost was, was complacency. Um, they just thought they couldn't lose. They thought everybody would go with it and they didn't go with it because your ordinary... Let me just tell you how this came to me, if you will. I was getting the train from uh, York to Selby to be picked up from my, my wife uh, before the referendum in 2000 and what it was, 15, I think it was, something like that. And the, the track goes past miles and miles and miles of small houses with little glass houses in the back, you know, and little patches of lawn. Uh, and they'll have a picture of the Queen or maybe flying a Union Jack. 
And when I drove past, when I was sat there on the railway train looking at that, I thought, we are going to win this because real people, all the real people live in all these little houses with their little gardens and they're red, white and blue to their bloody knickers. And they turned out. And the thing that people told me when I was on the stump uh, before the uh, referendum They said, Mr. Bloom, I haven't voted in years, but here's a different situation here. My vote will count this time. You know, they have to count all the votes. I'm not going to stay at home. I'm going to go and vote uh, through the rain, if need be, whatever it happens to be, because my vote will be counted this time. And it never is. And it doesn't matter who wins uh, uh, usually. And that was the biggest difference we've had in British politics for a very long time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but uh, let's let's move on from the nostalgia de la boue and, and move on to where we are now, which is who's who's calling the shots? Would you say? T- tell, tell me your give me your your big picture of what's going on in the world right now. Who the enemy are? I would my take on it, James, is the politicization, the deep politicization of our civil service. That would be my take, uh, done under Blair. Of course, the politicization of the Crown Prosecution Service, the politicization of our police force, not in the state of left or right, as we said when we came in and we started, not left and right, but statist and non-statist. So all the levers of power, and I sometimes give, if I'm at a, a speaking at a university or something, I say, Imagine the British electorate of passengers on a train and they actually want to go to Scarborough on a sunny day. It doesn't make any difference because the signalman and the man who runs the rails and the driver want to go to Manchester. It doesn't matter if the whole train wants to go to Scarborough and there could be 90% of the people on the train. You'll go to you'll go to Manchester. Because they're the one controlling the they're at the controls but but look the the civil service that you're 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 fingering here they are they are the servants of somebody so who's who's where are they getting their orders from where are they getting their ideas from well um from what i gather uh, um from obviously probably like you i don't have many friends who are civil servants um but i do have uh some input from civil servants or people who work with civil servants who tell me these things. Uh, But civil servants believe in the state. They don't believe in any form of democracy. They believe the state is right at all times. So if you want to just take an example, the jab, the jab, I would suggest to you that 100% of civil servants had the jab. Because it's a state thing. The state says get the jab. And so consequently get the jab. Your butcher, your baker, your cab driver was very much more circumspect. So if who's negotiating trade deals and all these kind of things, it's the civil service. Why are we so close? Why have we not undone a single EU directive? Even now, nearly eight years. It's because the civil service make it impossible. And your minister... Your minister didn't really want to leave anyway. Your your minister isn't a Brexiteer. Theresa May wasn't. Uh, um, 
Yeah. What's his name was fake. Um, um, I can't remember his name, Prime Minister. Anyway, he's fake. Uh, they're of all course. fake. So consequently, they quietly just let it go. All we've done, of course, is remove our commissioners and remove uh, our MEPs. Everything else is jogging along side by side. Let's look at immigration. If you look at immigration, it's totally controlled by the Home Office. They run the, the, the procedure. WEF and the United Nations believe in an open border policy. So that's not going to be interfered with. Why? Uh, I mean, I could stop this open immigration by Sunday week because I'd mobilise the Royal Navy and the Royal Marines and I would tow them back. But we don't. We bring them in and we put them in first-class hotels. It's run by the Home Office. And if you look at the number of people in the Home Office, they're around about 40% immigrants as well. They're recruited uh, in that vein. Uh, sure. You have the minister is an immigrant from an immigrant family. All these people, who is going to actually stand up and, and do something about it? The whole machinations of state. And of course, you will know from this, I'm sure, um, although you're much younger, I'm sure you watch Yes Minister quite a lot or certainly yeah. look at that. If they want to foil you, if, if they want to foil you, if they want to stop you actually doing something, look when they wanted to unscramble. Uh, the sunset clause idea of unscrambling uh, these these things. It was thwarted by the civil servant. Oh, no, we can't do that. Or we need more people or we'd need to budget for it. Every single civil service member voted remain. Every single man jack of them. Sure. But but we, 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 we I thought we'd agreed earlier on that the, the, the European Union is, is in any case a sort of uh, it's a chimera. It's a it's it's a busted flush. You you, you mentioned that it's UN's policy. Open open borders is UN policy, but you just described a symptom. Do, where is the UN getting this stuff? Where well, who's giving the orders? Who's calling the shots? All, now here's the question. Apart, well, apart from the ones we know, who are manipulating the WHO, for example, and the W. We know about Bill Gates. We know about uh, Soros. Uh, we know about the Rothschilds, uh, who have always had a hand somewhere for the last 150 years manipulating something along the line. We know all these things. And look at the un unlimited budget, James. Look at the, the CIA budget, for example, is totally unaudited. We have the Bill and Melinda Gates, billions and billions of unfunded. Do you think, and, and I've spoken to ex-CIA guys on this, there isn't a single mainstream presenter on the BBC, Channel 4 or Sky who is not in the palm of the hand of the CIA? And if you, uh, all you've got to do, remember when we had the Syria uh, uh, confrontation, uh, they would say, oh, Assad has jumped poison gas on Aleppo. Andrew Neil would read that out as soon as it was released by the CIA, when our uh, services, MI6 or MI5, couldn't possibly have confirmed it, it was read out as holy writ. The same with Ukraine today. It's CIA, Washington and London are joined at the hip. So it's pushed with no dissent. There is no dissent. So when you ask who's actually doing it, well, I think it's a sort of a great syndicate of amazingly wealthy people, people behind the scenes whose name, James, we don't know, There'll be people that we don't know. And then you look at BlackRock and then you look at Vanguard, uh, who control most of the world's worth. It's, uh, Vanguard is not a professional, it's not a state organization or state. Uh, it's, uh, it's a private organization. We don't know who's on the board, do we? We've then, we've got Malthusians like the king.
the king is a Malthusian, uh, and then we know that um, uh, lots of other people were. So some of these people have a spiritual, uh, a semi-spiritual view uh, of cutting populations and global control. Uh, these are the people who, who, who guide things. Exactly who, nailing actually who. Well, my website shows on the WF, it actually shows people who are sponsored. There's about eight or nine people who we know who arrive at Davos and quite happily say, I'm WEF and we need to eat bugs. But you're yeah. quite right. There are other people who I don't know and you don't know and nobody knows. Yeah, yeah, e exactly. What? Well, how... I, I agree that there are, there are names. I mean, the, the one name you haven't mentioned is Rockefeller. And I think that the, the depopulation programs, um, the, the global warming scare, that, that all, all goes back to the Rockefellers. It seems to me that I agree with you that the world is probably run by a series of, of crime syndicates. Um, and 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 they they have competing interests, but they work they work in cahoots to crush us and 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 destroy us. And we don't know we don't know all the names. How how much do you think this is um, a spiritual war? What's going on right now? Are you well, are you are you interested in, in are, are you do you have a, have faith? Are you interested in that kind of thing? Well. When I say spiritual, I, I think perhaps I could have chosen a better word. I can't think of one off the top of my head. But I think if you if you pursue the concept uh, of a secular society, mm. of course, and we all know the quote, if you stop believing in God, you start believing in anything. Yeah. So there's yeah. no moral focus. Uh, we are now a secular society. Uh, France deliberately went to a secular society. America, extraordinarily, the United States is becoming a secular society, except in certain Midwest states. So where is your focus? Some people buy into this. They buy into the COVID scam. They buy into the climate hoax. They buy into this because humankind, you probably have your own views. They might differ. Humankind needs something. They need to hook into some belief system. And I think whether it's Malthusian or global, uh, global governance, it's something that people buy into and they can buy into the next level. I mean, I think perhaps a study of the uh, Italian Renaissance would actually give you uh, a sort of an idea of how it actually works. Uh, but certainly I think that's I think that is the problem. Well, I, I was I was only testing. You. I, I mean, I, I, I don't know whether you're aware of my position. I, I'm, I'm a Christian and, and I, I believe that 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 what is happening now is is the last phases that we're heading towards revelation and 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 that um as uh as paul says the the devil is the god of this world and and that the, these people the, the some of the families we've named are acting in the service of the devil but you don't need to you don't need to believe that if, you know you, you can see it on the material level if you want to and it sounds like that's where pretty much you are but going back to your i i did like your point uh, and maybe you can enlarge on it a bit about about everyone who works for the BBC and stuff is essentially working for the CIA. I mean, what do you mean that literally? Well, the the reason I say that is because it's only when I see something that is CIA related, yeah, uh, or could be CIA related. So any form of military conflict or geopolitical implication. 
Yeah. Uh, the CIA are in there behind it somewhere. Now, why would it not be challenged? Have you ever heard a TV presenter or TV journalist suggest that it might not be safe or even made the caveat it's an unconfirmed report? Syria, Libya, the Horn of Africa, uh, all these things, Ukraine now, of course, absolutely in particular, there is no dissenting voice. And if you actually then look at the fact um, that the CIA have a massive unaudited budget uh, and they actually say themselves or recently retired CIA people say there is no there's nowhere we don't have uh, these people in in Western Europe and America in our hand. How can it not be so? And every man has their price. Now, I'll give you an example for that. Um, just a couple of days ago, Ben Wallace, for example, Ben Wallace um, wrote an, uh, an op-ed, about 900 words, I think it was, quite definitively telling us that with one last push, the Ukrainians were going to win the war, push the Russians out of the Crimea and all, and all this kind of thing. Uh, it was just I we were that piece every, every day. If we gave them another three billion. If we gave them just a little bit more. Push. Now, this, of course, and I speak as a military uh, geopolitical strategist with some loss and still some connections, incidentally, and still some connections deep buried. This is inherent nonsense. This is utterly stupid. It comes from a guy who was our defence minister until quite recently, uh, who just recently asked for another three billion. And what was Boris's parting shot when he left? Stay close to the Americans. All right. If you remember what he said, you you can find it on YouTube, his, his final speech. I'll give you one last tip. Stay close to the Americans. Are you telling me he wasn't paid to say that? And no. so who could have been paid? Who could have paid him? And who would know how to pay him that it had no audit trail? That's an interesting. Actually, that's a really interesting subject you raised there. Um, you don't need to be Sherlock Holmes here. The, the, OK, so the degree to which... Uh, See, uh, our news people and our politicians because I mean I, I have lost all faith in the mainstream media I think it's deeply corrupt uh, to what extent do you think these people are paid by organisations like the CIA like MI6 and so on I think a very significant number and that's by the CIA's own admission but let me give an example of this when I was in uh, the European Union when I was on a committee uh, let's take, uh, I think I was on a consumer committee. Uh, I was on a consumer affairs committee. Uh, and the committee was saying, oh, there's too much salt or too much sugar in sugar pops. I think it was something very much along those lines. Now, the lobbyists from Kellogg's came to see every committee member uh, to say that we take it very seriously. Uh, and you know, But they know if you have to change the flavor, you could lose the market. It could, could kids like the sugar or whatever it is in cocoa pops, and they and, it, and the market's worth a billion dollars. So what do they do? They don't say there's an envelope for you with a nice big fat check. We'll pay it into your Swiss bank account. That's yesterday's game. That might work in today in Belarus or the Ukraine. You can't do that in Western Europe today. So what do they do? They say, Mr. Bloom, and I quote from this is this is actually happened. Mr. Bloom, Kellogg's take it extremely seriously uh, the health of our products. And what to prove to you, we'd like you to come to California to see our Kellogg factory, all our factories, meet members of our board. Uh, we'll fly you across first class 
and we'll put you in a, a top hotel and you can stay as long as you like, bring your wife and if necessary, bring your family. And the buses going on there, the, the, the EU buses, you know, the, 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 the chauffeur-driven cars uh, were full of MEPs taking up because they were so seriously uh, worried about sugar and cocoa pops. It's that kind of bribery. It's that kind of bribery. And because an MEP, you could buy an MEP for small change, don't forget. Uh, Andrew Neil would cost a lot more. Andrew Neil is a rich man in his own right. But he still let out these CIA press releases unchecked. What does it tell you? Is he naive? Is he stupid? Or is he on the take? You'd have to ask oh, Andrew Neil. Well, I suppose that there's, a, there's another... I mean, without sort of libeling anybody, including to save any slander or what libel, I'm not saying he is. No, but no, I'm no, saying, no. why would you do that? Why would you read these things out unchecked? Uh, it's good. I, I, by the way, I've just I, I've just been reading this. <laughs> My chiropractor says. In case of possible concussion, avoid any unnecessary stimulation, screens, music, and multitasking. <laughs> anyway, I'm I'm glad. I'm really glad that you. I, I like the because I wasn't sure where this conversation was going to go because you are you are a fund of 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 insider knowledge, and we are we are comrades in arms. But I I recognise that there are some areas which are of less interest to you. Than others, and I want to get the best out of you. And I think that this is a really interesting um, tack you're taking there, which is that I've been, I've become curious in the last two years, about uh, two or three years, about how it is that that these horrible, horrible people up on the top are able to manipulate the lower downs to effectively act against their own interests, to get uh, uh, effectively act, act against the interests of their families, of their future, because nobody wants a world where we have to eat, uh, live in 15-minute cities and eat, eat bugs. And yet there are, or, 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 or be coerced into taking these kill shots from from, from the state for, for, a, for a bug that's just no worse than flu, if it even exists. Um, and yet... Across the mainstream media, you've got whether you've got the BBC um, or Channel Four people, or even the sort of the, the 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 sort of the fake alternative news like GB News and talk radio and and, and stuff, they are all essentially um, pushing an agenda, um, either either by omission or commission, which is going to be deleterious to their interests. So, how is it that these people are persuaded to to say things like? We need we need to carry on this war with Ukraine, which is bankrupting our country and is killing lots of Ukraine, you know, wiping out the Ukrainian boys of conscription age and devastating the country. Completely unnecessary, absolutely pointless. We're not going to win. They won't. They, they they won't admit this. So how do they do it? So one is, as you suggested, sort of bribery or sort of semi bribery through holidays. Another is this this thing, the Overton window. The, the the idea that that there are certain things which are un, unsayable, and I noticed this very much. I mean, look, there are things, for example, Julia Hartley Brewer would never say. Julia Hartley Brewer is never going to say these vaccines aren't really vaccines. They were the, the, they were 
produced in advance of, 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 of the, the, the alleged COVID virus being discovered. Um, they're basically kill shots or they're designed to sterilize. They're designed to enrich big pharma and, and, and they're completely unnecessary and they are pure evil. Children, you're never going to get Julia Hartley Brewer to say that, even though as any intelligent person ought to realize that this, this is so. Um, so is it possible that these people haven't been bribed? That they're just conscious that if they say this stuff, they're going to lose their job. So it's the, it's the same thing. It's about their livelihood. Sorry, long question. Um, uh, it's well, you would have found the same thing, I'm sure. I have found people who are hitherto fit from the hunting field, who really have never been ill, horsey people, quite yeah. strong people, tough people. Yeah, uh, because they're they middle class. Because they're middle class, um, generally middle class, and I think you'll agree there is no more stupid genre on the planet than the English middle class because they believe anything. And if you don't believe me, go to Tate Modern and listen to their conversations. Uh, they think a turd on a blanket is art. So these people are incredibly stupid. So these people never join the dots. And I've got four hunting friends who all now have myocarditis. And they won't join the dots. They will not associate with the dots. They've all had three or four and a booster. They will not come to that conclusion. So that's, if you like, the middle ground. Yeah. How can Julia Hartley Brewer, who was selling, selling the vaccine for three years on her program, yeah. selling it, how can she suddenly say, oh, sorry, what a terrible mistake I made. It's a whole heap of shit. Yeah. When at least if, if the actuarial statistics are right, and let's say she's got uh, a million listeners, I don't know, uh, if 10 percent, she's got a thousand people who have been seriously injured. But how is she going to ever say, good, stop, dot a bit of a bollock there. Yeah. So these people aren't going to change their mind. There's too much political capital. There's too much political capital. And of course, certainly if she had suggested uh, that you shouldn't get the shot, or it's untried, or it's untested. She would certainly have lost her job immediately, she, and she, she would have any chance, which is her real, which is her real ambition, to become a Conservative Party MP. That's her ambition, uh, and so consequently, she'd have blown that out of the water. So she yeah. goes with the flow. Yeah, it, 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 because I, I think it's not as simple as they're all on the take. I, I'm, I'm interested in. in uh, as a Christian, I'm interested in, in how sin works and how evil works. And it seems to me that it's not very few people, unless they're absolute psychopaths, set out to do evil. Everyone's got a moral compass. And, and it seems to me that it's an incremental process. You, 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 you know, you're invited to sort of, you know, you, it starts by maybe fiddling your expenses. I, I certainly used to claim for lunches. Uh, we, I, I used to lunch my girlfriend and claim it was lunch with contact, you know, my early days as a, as a newspaper diarist, because they, they were much more generous in, in those days. But I, I, I think that people sort of take one step towards the, the path of unrighteousness, and then they take another step. And so it's not necessarily the case that everyone is literally in the, in the pay of the CIA. However, I think you've made a good point that, that, that there is a lot more sort of corruption money about than is generally acknowledged. Yes, it isn't. As I said, I'm not talking about money in a brown envelope or, or, yeah. or, or Swiss bank account. You're quite right. That's a very small part. That's a yeah. relatively small part 
but I tell you, have you ever seen the film The Accountant with Hugh Grant? No. It's a film Do where I... he's a perfectly straightforward accountant, a good guy, a nice guy, clean-cut guy who's an accountant. Uh, and he gets sucked in to be an accountant unknowingly for the mafia. And then gradually, gradually, he suddenly realizes he's an accountant for the match. By this stage, he's too far in. He yeah. can't get out. He's too far in. And in the end, he embraces it because he's making lots of money and living in a big house. And he's got a wife and kids and so on and so forth. He didn't start out a bad man, yeah. <laughs> but he got sucked in. And I think Julia Hartley Brewer was sucked in because she doesn't understand anything about it. And made no worse, she didn't make any effort at the beginning to find out exactly what this so-called... Uh, vaccine which isn't a vaccine was now i know i don't go on tv i never do anything unless i've researched it because i'm a boring geek if i don't understand it i don't go on the show or if you ask me a question that i really don't know anything about i'll tell you james i'm sorry well outside above my pay grade don't understand it now these presenters have no training in uh, things like risk assessment uh, they don't have any training in uh, in anything at all on how to deal with it. So she bought into it. Once she'd bought into that, once she'd bought into the concept of jabs and boosters, she couldn't get out of it. She couldn't yeah, back yeah. out. So she yeah, had to she go can't. on to this day, to this day, um, going with it. I suspect now she won't go with it but i still don't think she would interview for example where's her interview with andrew bridget yeah or well she'd never have mike yeadon on would she no so what's she doing in journalism well well but yeah but you see that 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 remark is is the sort of remark that i would have made when i believed that journalism had a function which was to speak truth to power i think that was always an illusion I think I think the media has always been controlled by or, or pretty much somebody sent me a really, really interesting uh, essay, which I can't go into here here on Lord Nor Northcliffe. I think it was. Is that is that, is that the, the, the father of the Harmsworths? Yes. And, and what happened to him when he tried to oppose the the, the pal uh, to the uh, the Israel project? Do you know about this? I didn't name, but I name, I do worth, name him quite a lot in my thesis worth, on the Great War. Worth doing some 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 background. I will. I mean, I'll look up on it. I've gone. I, I've gone so so far down the road. I I, I, I one of my favourite. No, it's not my favourite. I, I love all my all my podcasts, but I I did one where I I discovered that Winston Churchill, far from being the 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 national hero, was an absolute. You know, was pretty much the man. The Tommy Tommy gun wielding thug um, of, of of Nazi propaganda. He was a he was a really nasty piece of work and a thirty third degree Mason and a Druid and in touch with it, probably demonically possessed. Are you, are you, are you, have you gone down that particular rabbit hole? I'm a, let's put it this way: I'm a big fan of Professor Norman Stone, right? And, and I'll go no further. Right, right, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's. <sighs> It is a bit, it's a bit scary, isn't it? When you sort of realise that everything you were brought up to believe about the world and you thought you were an educated person who knew what was what, that everything was, was you'd been con. You thought you were so bloody clever and you weren't. I mean, you, did, did you go to a fancy university as well, Goddess? No, no, no. I went straight into the city and did my professional exams. Oh, well, lucky you. I mean, I, you know, I, 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 I spent probably my first 
20 years after university thinking, lardy, 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 da, I'm a clever fellow because I went to a, to a potter university being educated with the brightest and best and I, I know what's what. And I hadn't a bloody clue. I know, um, and this is a, it, it's, it's fascinating. Um, but then here's the point: I don't know whether you'd agree with this. I don't think that's quite fair on yourself or anybody else because you would have been twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two years old, right? Yeah. I don't believe your brain has matured at that age. You're very no. unusual if it has. You don't know how to think, how to critically think. Where's your critical thinking? Uh, where, where is all this when you've been brought up this? And, of course, don't forget, uh, as Goebbels, I, I read the other day, or quite uh, last year, it was in point of fact, an autobiography of, um, a biography, rather, of Joseph Goebbels. Oh, yeah. uh, and it's fascinating, his tenets of, of, of propaganda. First of all, no dissent. Dissent must be cut off. You mustn't have right. dissent. Uh, and it must be stifled completely and totally, as is our hostility to the Ukraine war. Uh, they've cut off Russia today. We're not allowed to hear any other uh, point of view. So mm. you cut off dissent. You repeat, you repeat the one main theme, and you go on repeating it until it's received wisdom. Case mm -hmm. in point, of course, is man-made global... Uh, global yeah. course. It's repeated and repeated, and then you put it in schools. And here's an interesting point that you might not have known with Goebbels. Uh, he said it's helped if you could get celebrity endorsement. That's fascinating. It was written in 1935, or that quote was 1935. Exactly what we're facing today. He was the master genius uh, of, of, of propaganda. And we're facing that and the change in propaganda we saw. If you think the Vietnam War, go back to the Vietnam War and the Americans uh, in the 60s. They didn't learn the lessons of Goebbels. They allowed dissent. There was dissent against uh, the Vietnam War in some of the media and some of the universities. When they started their empire building post-Vietnam, they weren't going to let any dissent happen. There will be no dissent. So consequently, there's no, there's no protests on the campus. Uh, there's nothing happening. Uh, no. the, the kids at universities are doing they want. They want a 2-1 and they want their snout in the trough in the city or a job with the civil service with an index-linked pension. There is, this is what the kids of today aspire to. They're not the kids of my generation. They were wrong, my generation, all this band, the bomb bollocks and stuff like that, which was ludicrous. But they didn't, uh, they, they went out in the streets if they believed something, but that's not what happens now. They don't believe anything. Although just on, on, on the Vietnam War, this is, this is, this is a vestige of, of, of the period where I was interested in, in war and stuff. You know how they, how they helped, um, how they try the equivalent of that trip to California to stay in that all expenses hotel. You know what they used to do to, uh, to war correspondents? If you were a war correspondent, you were automatically given the rank of the honorary rank of major. You got, you got a guaranteed place pretty much in any helicopter traveling Back and forth to the to the front, provider I, I presume that somewhere where they that they 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 wanted you to to be, and you can see why why as a war correspondent you might become invested in the kind of American war machine because I mean hell it's pretty cool isn't it being to ride in the chopper with the rank of major when you've done nothing to to uh, you haven't been to boot camp you just gotta and you um yeah 
I was going to ask you something else, like, um, which was inspired by where the conversation was going, and I've completely forgotten. What were we talking about before that? Well, just a, just a word on that. It's uh, talking about war correspondence mm-hmm. um, with my military history interest. I can tell you that the Second World War military correspondents were right at the front. Uh, and the cameramen, as you can see from the clips, they were right at the front and some were killed. Uh, the World War Two uh, military correspondents, and they were absolutely k- kings of their trade. Now, in Iraq uh, and places in Afghanistan and things like that, I was out in Afghanistan uh, on a trip uh, a few uh, years ago. With, anyway, I'm more worried with the details. Your correspondents, let's say for Ukraine uh, and uh, the Russian Federation conflict, the war correspondents do not leave the hotel in Kiev. They do not leave the hotel in Kiev. They get a press release written by the CIA, given to the Ukrainian uh, government. The Ukrainian government or military gives it to the war correspondent and they file it back in Washington or London. That's exactly what happens. There's nobody near the front line. They won't go near the front line because they're not old school. Um, why would they get their head shot off when they all they need to do is release a, a, send back a press release? Um, it's self-preservation. I mean, I, I, These people are this. not war correspondents. <laughs> Yeah, I've heard this rumour. Where, where did you get this one from? Uh, oh, I got it from a chap who was uh, was out there, a friend of mine yeah. who was out there. No right. names, no tap right. pack drill. I get, I get yeah, stuff. Yeah, I get stuff. Sure. I can't give names. I was going, but I remember what, I, what point I was going to make. Um, you mentioned Goebbels and the importance of suppressing the the, the counter arguments to all attempts and purposes, as if the argument has been won. I remember about 10 years ago when I was fighting the climate change wars and, and, and calling out the bullshit, saying there's no evidence for man-made global warming at all. It's just it's 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 just made up stuff. You know, whatever the scientists say, it's it's based on computer models. It's not on, on observed um, observed data. They, they 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 fake everything. They fake the weather station readings by by uh, you know they're, they're exaggerated by the urban heat island effect and when the urban heat island effect doesn't do its job then they just they they just rewrite the data or they they skew the data to, so it says what they they talk to the data to it screams so i was i was saying all this stuff and i remember um i was trying to earn a living as a, as a as a freelance journalist and i would have been very happy very happy for an oil company say to 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 pay me to promote you know to, to tell the truth about it but the oil companies weren't interested because they were too busy kind of greenwashing their image and trying to suck up to people like George Monbiot and sponsoring the Guardian and stuff because that's that's how the world works um but I remember I remember I got this gig once yeah I probably got paid about 200 quid to to go and speak at some uh what was it it was something to do with the supermarket or the re- the retail trade, and it was I, w- I was giving them the, giving them a talk about global warming and stuff, and I was saying, look, um, what you've got to realise is that any moment now, the the truth is going to is going to be exposed because people like me, I mean, you know, I, I'm a lone voice at the moment. Well, there's there's me and Christopher Booker and a few others, but. Soon, this scam is going to be blown wide open because there is no evidence to support that, that this notion that 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 um, 
man-made global warming is heating the world at unprecedented levels that we must do something now it is absolute rubbish and you need to factor factor this in to your to your future marketing yeah this sustainability nonsense it's it's it, it's going to be old hat anytime soon because there's no evidence to support that and i believe this at the time because i believe that we we lived in a system that wasn't completely rigged what's happened since in fact, dissenting voices like mine have been effectively extinguished. You can't even get pretty much dissenting articles in the newspapers. Or even if you can, they are always prefaced by an acknowledgement that man-made global warming is a problem and we need to address it. And it's all just a question about the methods we use to deal with it. Or yes, some of it may have been exaggerated, but everyone in the mainstream media and the fake alternative media, I think like GB News, they 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 take it as red and they tell their audiences that it is to be taken as red that man-made global warming that climate change is a problem that is goebbels like in its in its crushing of the they, they didn't need to win the argument all they needed to do was completely crush the opposition with money and 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 under under a, a, a biased dishonest media this, this this is quite right because and if you think about it and it was a very interesting book um on Goebbels because what they couldn't afford to have is let's say that you they got you got on and you sowed a seed of doubt and you sowed some chat tr some charts and it would only take you 30 seconds to talk about the Minoan warm period the Roman warm period the medieval warm period the uh the you know the the mini ice age and uh, and show one chart you could do it in 30 seconds. You could debunk it. It's the easiest fake theory yeah. to debunk in under one minute. But, of course, you're not allowed to do that because Goebbels understood the last thing he wanted was the ordinary Joe going to the pub saying, do you see that bloke Denning poll last night? Do you reckon it's all a load of bollocks? Because I think it's a load of bollocks. We've been listening to it for 30 years. Where's it going to happen? I mean, July was freezing. That's your working man. Your working man cannot have anything on which to hang his hat. It has to be one argument and one only, which is why they got rid of um, anybody who didn't buy the global warming theory. Of course, uh, they they replaced um, uh, they replaced any anybody with any scientific background with Roger Harabin, uh, who of course uh, the BBC who was a climate activist. They only interviewed climate activists. They into that little Swedish pixie girl who I've always forgotten her name, Greta Garbo or something. Whatever. I think she's a man. Hmm. I think she's a man. Is she? Well, then, my God, don't go down that route. That already starts something else. Um, I mean, clearly, if somebody turns off her teleprompt, she's toast. And when the uh, Prince of Wales, as he then was, came to address the Environment Committee when I was on it about ten years ago, twelve years ago. Uh, it was very, very strictly controlled. He gave, and gave us the doom and gloom, we're all going to die unless we do something for 30 minutes. We were not allowed to ask questions or interrupt or do anything in any way. He came, he delivered it, and he went. And of course, the Prince of, uh, the King, as he now is, it's very difficult for, for chaps like not us. Not my King. I mean, is he, is he stupid and gullible? Or a really nasty piece of work and a crook. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I have to say, Goddess, when you were talking about how you know, you weren't a Republican, but you certainly weren't a Royalist. I think that that I think that the 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 royal family, in fact, the royal families, 
are a rabbit hole that, that might repay further investigation. I, I used to think, I used to be a, a monarchist during during the Queen's reign, but now I think that the Queen was a wrong one as well. I think this goes back a long way. They, they are they are ten they are ten acres of bad terrain. They really are. They're just uh, no. I, I'm not. I, I won't have a good, a good word said for them. I think that I think that they are wrongins. Yeah, I and, and, and you know what? I tell you what else. The, this is this is part of talking about psyops. The way the way that the masses are. You know, what is the narrative that has been fed relentless, relentless to lead to us about the royal family? It's that they are slightly on their uppers you know the queen is always worried about uh, was always worried about um the heating bills and it was going around buckingham palace turning off lights um that they are out of touch and constantly seeking to find ways of being relevant to the public and we had that that charade with the it's a royal knock knockout and stuff um that that they are that we have this thing called a constitutional monarchy where where whereby the queen is allowed to advise uh, what was it what's the phrase i can't remember you, you probably know about it probably in budget or something you know that the the, the 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 queen is not allowed to take it or the king is not allowed to take a direct role role in the running of the country but but is is a kind of a sort of a gentle presence a sort of steering committee if you like whatever we what i'm saying is that we are fed these notions about the the royal family which are part of the illusion they are much much richer than than they let on they are much much more powerful than they let on and they are much much more evil than they let on i don't think they're christians i for start i don't i don't think they believe in god or are they or rather they don't believe in god as 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 the 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 the, the mighty force that should govern us and that we should revere i think they see him as the enemy that's where I am. Oh, I made the point. I don't know whether you saw my spoof interview of uh, His Majesty. It came out last week. Um, I did a spoof interview. And one of the questions, I put all these questions to him. I put half a dozen questions. And I said to him, um, we are now living in a secular society. The churches are empty. And I've got to ask you this question. You're head of the Anglican Church. Do you believe in God? Do, you know, do, are you a religious man? Do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing? Uh, and of course, I then the spoof. I did the spoof answers uh, with, with, and I said, "You're. I don't believe that your uh, Archbishop of Canterbury is a Christian, uh, and he, I think he's a chancer, a dodgy dude. Uh, and uh, you know, I don't even think your Archbishop of Canterbury uh, believes in God." And he and 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 the spoof answer was. I don't want an archbishop who believes in God. Look at the trouble Henry II got into. Uh, you know, at least Henry VIII could actually chop their heads off or burn them at the stake. He said, I can't do any of that. He said, the last thing I want is an archbishop who believes in God. He might not let me carry on my wokery. You know, he might actually start uh, asking me uh, what the Bible might say about these matters. Uh, and uh, so I, I actually picked up on that point. No, you're quite right. Um, the reason we live now in a secular society uh, is is quite deliberate. But now here's another interesting thing. How do you explain this? And I can't explain it. Uh, I just my wife pointed out something to me this morning that said the Pope himself is talking about the Catholic faith rele releasing their resistance or getting rid of their resistance to same sex marriage. That's the Pope. That's the Roman Catholic Church. How did that get there? 
I mean, how did he get there? I mean, they used to be, I know there was Vatican II and there was these things that changed, but there's the, the Roman Catholic faith is no hiding place these days either. And if we go back, and you mentioned quite earlier, uh, these, these matters going back to the mid-19th mid, mid century and, and, and the late 19th, early 19th century. Of course, what is interesting, isn't it? The growth of Methodism, uh, the, the, the rapid growth of Methodism uh, in the uh, 1800s, because people got fed up with the Anglican Church, was just looked at the sort of the, the suburban middle class at prayer on a Sunday. And Methodism and those wonderful buildings that you see in Wales uh, and parts of the north of England, Methodism was very, very important because people actually brought themselves back to the Christian faith. Uh, now, the question is, will that come again? Because people are looking for something. At the moment, they're wasting their faith. They're wasting their, that kind of part of humanity on climate change and other useless things. They might come back to Christianity. All they need is somebody to bring Christianity to them in its original form. And you don't actually need clerics to do that. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. Have you read um, um, Somerset Maugham's Of Human Bondage? Yes, yeah, one of my sister, my late sister's favourite books. So, so there's a, you, you remember the, 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 the hero... Um, Philip is is brought up by his he's, he's orphaned and he's brought up by I think his his uncle and aunt his, his uncle is a a vicar a very very lazy lazy vicar in 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 Whitstable although it's been fictionalized as Blackstable cunningly um, and and I remember this is this is presumably based on Morm's own childhood that the this Church of England vicar will will shun the local methodist in the streets because you know he's 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 the enemy he's is is the opposition and i can i can see that i was in a i went to i went to um morning service in one of our local churches on sunday and there were eight people there all but one of them older than me and, and we, we had the liturgy we had we had the book of common prayer which was which was nice but I was thinking, what is the Anglican Church really offering anymore? And I wonder how many of these people are there out of habit, out of uh, out, because it's what what one you know what what a certain generation used to do on a Sunday. So they were they were they were maintaining a tradition. But how many of them actually believe in 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 Christianity? And how many of these people took the vaccine? I, I suspect most of them did. Well, of course, and then what an opportunity the church had before lockdown to keep the churches open and for the vicar to actually say, if I die of COVID, that's God's will. I'm here for my flock. And they didn't. They ran away, masked up and all the rest of it. It was the most appalling piece of this I've ever seen in the clergy uh, and consequently they had an open door there they could have actually brought people back to the church and they didn't do that they closed the church so even the few people that still go uh, stop going um, and no it's a shame and who, who preaches who knows how to preach uh, you know you go there and, and, and these and, and getting ordained now for most of the you know for the Royal Anglican Church they're desperate some people have got four parishes uh, because they're the only person prepared to do the job. Well, also, I mean, it, it, they get paid something like 
25 thousand a year i think uh, obviously it's not it's not a, a calling that that should be dependent on on money but on the other hand that's wrong you could nobody can have a family on 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 they, they, they've how are you going to attract people to the church when you're going to expect them to live on a subsistence wage when simultaneously you are spending loads of the church's money on stuff like sort of slavery rep- reparations and and green initiatives and it's just all the churches i i fear or yeah almost all of them have been have been infiltrated by the enemy and but it's everywhere it's not just the church is it it's it's all the institutions oh, no. the military no, it's, it's in the it's it's, it's everywhere it, it is everywhere post-war and you know, the, the, I think the rot, you know, you could argue historians, we, we, you and I could argue when that started. In much the same way, we could argue, when did you actually get ahead of beer as you travel north from the south? Is it Northampton? Uh, is it Leicestershire? Is it, uh, you know, I've often wondered where that's actually started, that sort of funny thing where up here in the north we love a, a decent head on our beer and our glass of ale. That it's imperceptible. When does it happen? When did we lose that? When, when did society lose that? Uh, I certainly believe that we lost an awful lot of our heritage with the uh, invention of welfare. When the state took responsibility by taking money from some family to another, and to give it to another family, very often to less worthy family. 1945, that's when things started to actually go down. And I think you can trace it to welfare. Uh, that's one of the things. There's probably lots of other things as well. But welfare, the, the concept that the state will look after you, regardless of whether you work or not, which incidentally was nothing to do with beverage in 1943. That was not the concept of the welfare state in 1943. It became the concept in the 1950s. And it's the concept today. I still think my take on this is that you're still using slightly the language of the normie paradigm which is which is that these are the sort of things that i might have written in 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 kind of trenchant articles for the spectator or whatever saying tracing it all back i think it goes back way further than that i think we're talking at least babylon um but but certainly more recently we're talking uh 1660 and before that we're, we're certainly talking the era of francis bacon and and the, the the whole sort of mysterious occultist tudor tudor court i think what you're when you talk about i blame it on the welfare state i think you're just describing a symptom of a, of a process it it the 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 ruling elites the, the the predator class have always pushed as much as they can until they felt uh until they've felt the you know the push while they feel mush and then you know to use Be- lenin's bennett analysis analysis uh they they push as far as they can as they get away with what they can get away with and it's just that the process has accelerated in 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 our lifetimes and in and indeed earlier in the 20th century that's all that's happened but it's been happening all the time it's been they've always been like this well i mean i very much take your point james but what why not go back to sort of round about 300 AD uh, when the whole concept of Christianity at home you know, didn't start. There were no churches and no, no priests when they were uh, uh, when they were forced into the, the arena with lions and stuff like that. This was a belief. Christianity was a belief 
Uh, and so consequently, um, you could argue uh, it probably went wrong round about 300 AD when it when if you like, you might argue when mankind's bureaucracy got hold of the faith. Yeah, well, that 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 was always going to happen, wasn't it? So, OK, so you've got the the years leading up to the to, to the year naught uh, when just things were just appalling. And God realised that, you know, I'm going to have to do something to sort this out. I'm going to send my only son. To, we're going to have a kind of a reboot of civilization, and and here's my son. He's going to get sacrificed and die in this hideous way. Die for man's sins. Now's your chance to repent. And then, so we've had two thousand plus years since then uh, to amend our ways, and most people haven't listened. And and there it is. That's the deal. So now. We're going to have the, oh, this is, I keep returning to the scene where horses are going to be wading up to their chests in blood because that's, that's the deal. We're living in end times. What, what, what's, what's your take? How do we get out of this mess? Are we going to, or is it all going to, you know, CBDCs and stuff? Are they going to, are they going to come in? I just don't know how we get out of it. I think there are, a lot of people ask me what well, the doing thing. It's all very well to point out to people who know, know things have gone wrong and things aren't good. I think, listen, people need the doing thing, don't they? They need the doing thing. Otherwise, they get depressed and frustrated. I always say, here's here's the doing thing. You What, what can you do in the morning? Cancel mm -hmm. your bankers' orders of the BBC because that's going to make you feel better. That's yeah. a little tiny pinprick at what's wrong with this country. That's that's one thing you can do to, you know, mm. to blow a little bit of steam off. And the other thing that could help, um, and I'm not sure it's going to help that that far, but if we had a non-party system and you had to stand on the stump in your own county or your own constituency and say, I'm James Denningpole, I'm Godfrey Bloom, this is what I believe, and you stand on the stump and say, you vote for me. No rosettes, no blue rosettes, no red rosettes. I believe and I tell you that this is a hoax. Climate's a hoax. Vote for me. And more and more people are beginning to realise it's a hoax. Or more and more people's families are being damaged by these jabs or whatever it happens to be. And they're going to say, just a minute, this guy, most the reason the standard of politician is so easily bought and whose intellect is so low is for the simple reason that they've only got to wear a blue flag or a red flag to get elected. That would be at least a start. That would be a start. Uh, and I think you might find that if we could start by improving uh, the House of Commons uh, and disband perhaps the House of Lords, which has lost its way completely, it's a, it's, it's a train wreck, so that at least people felt that I voted for James Dellingpole because he's a bloody good bloke and I agree with everything or nearly everything he says. Apart from the hunting. I don't like I don't like his cruelty to foxes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're always going to get that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. I, I, I have Psalm 8 on my side. <laughs> we're, we're, we're in charge. I mean, that's what we God, God gave us dominion. And that's but the deal. The, the thing is, what do we do? Before, and I wrote an article for a magazine about three years ago, A New Dark Age. Uh, at the moment, it seems we're going into a new dark age. And, of course, we have another dynamic, don't we? We now have uh, a population where the non-Christian 
leaving aside this sort of uh, agnostics, um, but we have anti-Christian forces growing at a most phenomenal pace, quite deliberately brought into this country. Well, yeah, well, I mean, yeah, the, I, I, I hesitate to open another rabbit hole at this point in the uh, podcast because I've got to go and cook supper. But, but, but um, wh- where are you on the kalergi Kudenhav plan? Well, the symptom, it looks like it's right if you look at what's happening. Uh, it, it, certain things make sense, but then you don't have to look quite that far back. You've only got, well, if you look at the UN declaration, of course, which Theresa May signed to accept 100,000. Uh, she knew she couldn't do that formally, so they are, what's the biggest pretense at the moment, apart from climate hoax, is the big pretense that we can't stop these people coming across in small boats. I mean, that is just about the most absurd situation that uh, the country's ever met. Now, I've always had great faith in the country bouncing back, whether it's from a civil war, whether it's from a major war, the country, the resilience of our island race, I have always believed in. If we're degrading that daily, um, will we have enough to bounce back from? Well, that's why they're doing it. I mean, that's why they're doing it, isn't it? It's, it's, exactly. it's, it's exactly. white replacement and it's, yeah, they want to kill the culture of, yeah. I don't know. I, I mean, um, yeah. <laughs> My advice would be trust trust in, in the law with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own, own understanding. Um, I, I, I just think we've reached the stage where only only God can can save us i think it's that bad because i i don't see people waking up on the scale i i, I mean i i see my mission and, and probably you see your mission as well as being to go around telling people like it is i i i strike up conversations with people i say don't take the jab i ask them questions i tell them about you know the moon landings and stuff <laughs> they probably think i'm in that case i don't i don't really care um and also i tell them to to get to get i i a friend of mine has just um lost her husband um you know i mean he was he was my age um super super fit he was into cycling um but not everyone's perfect uh, um and he um he just dropped dead of turbo cancer um like from diagnosis to death eight weeks and she knows what caused it. She said, "I she she's very bitter about it. You know, it was definitely it happened after the jab." And uh, interestingly, going back to what you were saying earlier about the churches, um, I was saying, "Well, how are you sort of dealing with it?" And she said, "Well, I'm throwing myself into my work." Uh, and I said, are you, "Are you are you sort of in where are you on on God and stuff?" And and she said, "Well, I try to go into the church to have a bit of quiet time, but normally the church is locked." And I was thinking, yeah, that's the way to to win people over to your to to your institution, isn't it? To, to lock the doors when they when they need it most. Well, my advice to her: I'm a guide at York Minster. I'm a professional guide at York Minster, and of course, all the cathedrals have uh, one one chapel, uh, which is for prayer and contemplation tucked away in the corner nobody else allowed in so if the parish church is if you're having difficulty with the parish church your local i know it's might be a, a, a way away and it's quite wrong and i'm not depending wander a few uh, hundred miles or whatever to york minster uh, well, until it's there every minster well not every minster but every cathedral oh. and most yeah. min- most big minsters will have that yeah. private chapel 
and mm. they're not that far from most people. Yeah, it's just a thought. People, you have to give, you know, you have to give somebody some something. You know, why I, I, that was depressing. I didn't get anything for that uh, from from that podcast. You got to say, well, here's a few things you can do. Here's a few things yeah, you no. can do. Uh, when, I, they, I, when, I know, when, of course. when you say trust in the Lord, I say yes, trust in the Lord, but pass the ammunition. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Okay, my other tip is I've just discovered this. When just after sunrise, spend five minutes looking at the sun. Ideally barefoot. It's fantastically, it, it has an amazing effect. Do you know about this? Sun I've never staring. tried it. Can I do it with a glass in my hand? Yeah, you can. Well, would you want to do that at, at, at eight, in the, seven or eight in the morning? That's what I say. Would you want to do that? I, 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 would you want to be doing that at seven or eight in the morning? And I say I was thinking the evening. Sorry. No, so, no, sorry, sorry. I'm talking about yeah. Obviously, with, you, obviously, you need a sundown, and that's a given. But but I, I'm not sure you want a sunriser as well. Oh right, I mean, that would be. Oh, well, I hope I haven't given myself away there. <laughs> I'll have a large one. It's eight o'clock in the morning. God, I'm I'm sure your your fan club would fully expect you to be putting put downing a sort of uh, probably slow gin at that time. Um, <laughs> anyway. Yeah. I'm going to, it's time for me to feed the dog and make supper. Um, it's been great chatting to you. Um, anything, where can people find you? Um, easy peasy. My website, which is quite extensive now, is just small case, godfreebloom.uk. That's easy. Yeah. Good. Thank you. Um, it only remains for me to say if you've enjoyed this podcast, oh, how could you not have done? Um, Please consider supporting me um, on Substack, on Locals, on Subscribestar, on Patreon. Buy me a coffee. Um, I, I, I love you all, but I really appreciate, especially those of you who are generous enough to support me. Um, thanks very much again. Goddess. Great pleasure. Thanks for inviting me.